Our friend Warren Rogan has a podcast called Sports Forgotten Heroes, but he's not going to let us forget about those heroes that wore the jersey number 53 in the NFL, because today on the Football by Numbers, it's jersey 53, as Warren and I pick a top 10, and it's coming up in just a moment. This is the Pigskin Daily History Dispatch, a podcast that covers the anniversaries of American football events throughout history on a day-to-day basis. This is your host, Aaron Hayes, and we're podcasting from America's North Shore to bring you the memories of the gridiron, one day at a time. So with Mike and Gene Monroe, as well as Jason Neff supplying us with the dunes, let's go no huddle through today's football history headlines and birthdays of Hall of Famers. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. Hello, my football friends. This is Darren Hayes of pigskindispatch.com, and welcome to another bonus edition of the Football by Numbers series. And we are going to go to jersey number 53 today, and we have a lot of great NFL players to talk about. There is no worries because we have a little bit of help tonight. Uh, we have our friend Warren Rogan from the Sports Forgotten Heroes podcast, and he is joining us to because he's got a couple guys that he really is interested in talking about. Let's bring him in right now a warren rogan welcome back to the pig pen hey glad to be here i see you clean things up it doesn't smell too bad in there today (laughs) (laughs) yeah it was uh it's the beginning of the week so we do a little cleanup uh last time you were on near the end of the week maybe (laughs) (laughs) i'm glad i'm glad to be back there and thank you so much uh, we, we really have been enjoying ourselves. We enjoyed when you were on. We've had a lot of great guests. We've talked about a lot of great uh, NFL football players. And this is really an exciting journey through there. Mm-hmm. We're, we're over halfway through the NFL's uh, jersey numbers. And it's kind of an exciting time. Yeah. You know, you do this a couple years from now with the way they're ch- letting uh, everybody change numbers. You might get some weird positions with straight, you know, you might see a number 53 one day playing quarterback. That might not be the most normal of things. You're right. It's going to be some odd ones, you know, especially when we start seeing the single digits in the backfield and yeah. out in the wide outs. So it's going to be interesting. It sure yeah, is. Yeah, definitely, definitely. So, so, but it's really taken us back to where it was 100 years ago, you know, because there really there was no numbering restrictions back then. Yeah, so. you know, it's, a, it's an interesting thing. You know, if you look back at the history of numbers in sports, I think, think perhaps baseball might have been the first and it was the Yankees and when the Yankees did it they gave players numbers based on where they batted in the batting order so you know Babe Ruth batted third so he was number three Lou Gehrig batted fourth so he was number four and that's how the Yankees assign numbers. Yeah, I've heard some theories of early NFL football. Whoever was the best player would have the lowest number. They would be like number one would be the best player. That's why you saw players changing a lot of numbers early on. They were jockeying for that number one spot is what that's what I was told. I don't, I don't have that in fact, but uh, some uh, pretty reliable sources told me and it makes sense. You see in the way yeah. they change numbers. Yeah, I I also find it interesting that in the NFL, they sort of assign numbers or up until now, they've assigned numbers to particular position groups. You know, I think Brady, Tom Brady, might have a, uh, a legitimate beef, you know, throughout his entire career, all the quarterbacks throughout their entire career, they're able to identify 
certain roles on defense by number. There's a couple of outliers, but um, now it's going it's going to change. It's going to be interesting. Put a little bit of pressure on the offense. They've had it pretty easy for the last uh, 30 <laughs> yeah, years or so. <laughs> defense has been taking all the heat. So, but hey, uh, you last time you were on, uh, you, we were talking about your podcast, you know, Sports Forgotten Heroes. And as promised, you told us that uh, your topics were going to be sort of seasonal, sports seasonal. And, and really, you've uh, really came through on that because the, the last couple have been on some real, very interesting golfers, uh, you know, Craig Wood and uh, Denny Shute, which uh, I thought were both fabulous uh, podcasts. You. And your guests were very interesting. And so were the, their stories. I'm glad you, you told them. Uh, do you have anything coming down the pipe that maybe we could be looking forward to yeah in fact um i try to stay seasonal like like uh you just mentioned and we're getting towards the end of basketball uh with the nba playoffs in full swing my next podcast will be june 1st and it is going to be about archie clark terrific nba player who came up with the Lakers during Elgin Baylor's time, Gail Goodrich, and Archie is my guest. So I have Archie on with me, along with the author of a book called Shake and Bake. And that book chronicles the very interesting career of Archie Clark. Archie... Uh, basically brought the uh, shake and bake move to the NBA. And he was also the guy who, for lack of a better term, bought the fadeaway to the NBA. The step back. He bought the step back. But bigger than all of that, Archie challenged owners before players really went after the big money. Archie wasn't ready to sit there and just take what the owners offered him. And he held out quite a few times, engineered some trades. And Archie was one heck of a basketball player, an all-star, a terrific guard, but um, never won, never won the NBA championship. He is the answer to a very good trivia question which is who did the lakers trade to the philadelphia warriors to get wilt chamberlain and the answer is archie clark of course with a couple of other fringe players it was archie clark and uh, the owner of the lakers at the time jack kent cook wanted to bring wilt chamberlain out to the west coast and put the Lakers on the map and put a big guy in his new LA forum and try to win a championship. And Archie left LA and went to Philadelphia, which, and that began a pretty long journey an interesting journey for Archie Clark. And I have him on my podcast debuts June the 1st. And it's a, uh, it's a terrific show. Wow, he sounds like he's a true pioneer on and off the court. You know, have the shake and bake and the fadeaway move on the court and, uh, you know, some player negotiation tactics off the court. That's That sounds like a very interesting one. We'll definitely have to make sure we check that out. So, you know, Sports Forgotten Heroes, everybody, don't forget about that. Uh, June 1st. 
we got you here because uh, we have some, a very interesting jersey number in our journey through the NFL numbers. Uh, we started at zero. We've got all the way up to jersey number 53. And we've got uh, five gentlemen that the Pro Football Hall of Fame has declared wore the number 53 during their careers. And I'll read their names off real quick here. We can go into a little bit more detail in a, in a second. Uh, it's Harry Carson, Mick Tinglehoff, Alec Wojohowicz, Len Ford, and Mike Webster. Yeah. And uh, some very interesting names there. And uh, I, I know one really particularly uh, tickles your fancy that I think you want to come on for. Yeah, absolutely. Harry Carson. Um, and we'll, we'll have our, our uh, little debate. I think, I think, um, and, you know, we, we've discussed it uh, uh, previously. Um, it's really interesting to me that the NFL is over a hundred years old now. And sometimes it is difficult to come up with a top 10 list of players deserving players to be called top 10 to wear a particular number. And um, wow. I think that uh, this is one of those numbers that I was actually pretty surprised was as difficult a task to to create a top 10 list from yeah it, it is we've been finding a lot of these numbers sort of in the late 40s uh early 50s i shouldn't say all of them some are pretty easy and cut and dried it's you're trying to figure out which of the 12 players you want to cut down to 10 but uh, a lot of these numbers like this one it's it's a little bit tricky to get 10, but I, I, I have a theory on that. And I think a lot of it has to do with the way statistics were recorded. Um, you know, one thing, you know, like, uh, registering sacks and, uh, giving credit to sacks who only came in the early 1980s, right. uh, ta tackles were sort of around that mid eighties, early nineties, I think when they started recording how many tackles a, a guy had. And I think with a lot of uh, film study and there's a, a lot of people going back into some of those older games, I know like the pro football journal has started doing that on some older players, uh, giving them credit for sacks, going through old game film and, uh, scorecards and whatever they can get their hands on. And it's, yeah kind of some interesting things. We're getting some statistics we never saw before from those earlier players. Yeah. I, I, I wish um, that they could really do that thoroughly. Um, and they'll probably get it pretty darn close, but obviously there's not film of every single game that's ever been played. And um, even if there was, as we just alluded to, not everybody um, wore a number. And um, if you didn't wear a number, sometimes it's, you know, like they say, you need a scorecard to tell who the players are, right? Right. And uh, if they if they were being filmed back in those early days, you may only have one camera. You don't have like the 20 yeah. of them you have now, and you don't have the all 22 of you and you know, yeah, things like that yeah. that are give you some great angles. So, so well, I'll tell you what, I'll tell you my top 10 list and you okay. can argue it. You okay. can argue it and we'll go, I'll, I'll count it down. Oh, okay. You got them in order even. Okay. Yeah. So I'll go my, my number 10 and this might be a surprise. He plays now and he hasn't been around for that long is Darius Leonard. Oh, wow, okay. Number, number nine, Rod Martin. 
Number eight, a guy who I'm sure you are quite familiar with, Marquise Pouncey. Okay. Number seven is Bill Romanowski. Number eight, and I'm actually surprised this guy is not in the Football Hall of Fame, is Randy Gratishar. Guy right. was a stud. Yeah, that number, is hard. Number five, Alex Wojahowitz. Number four, Mick Tinglehoff. Number three, another guy you're quite familiar with, Mike Webster. And he's an interesting story, obviously. Number right. two, Len Ford. And my number 153, I'm a homer. I'm calling it Harry Carson. <laughs> very interesting. Very similar. I, I have a couple that I had uh, a little bit differently, but I, I there was a couple I'm, I guess I'm not sure about. But, I, you know, Le Leonard I did not have on there. So wh why don't we start with him? Why don't you tell us a little bit about Leonard? Um. Sure. So you mean you mean Len Ford? No, who who did you have as your number ten? The first uh, name. Oh, 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 I'm sorry, Darius Leonard. Darius Leonard, yes, sir. Colts. Um, you know, like I said, I I just I I had trouble, um, coming up with players who I felt were deserved of being, um, in the top ten, and certainly. Darius Leonard has a long way to go in his career. He's only been around for, you know, three full years with the Colts. Um, during this time, he's got seven interceptions. and uh, He returned one for an 80-yard touchdown, four fumble recoveries. He's got 15 sacks. Um, and, and he was, in 2018 – the NFL Defensive Rookie of the Year. Twice he has been named First Team All-Pro, and that's 2018 and 2020. He was a Second Team All-Pro in 2019. Uh, he's played in two Pro Bowls. He he led the league in tackles his rookie year, 20 uh, you know 2018, and in in college, ironically, he played at South Carolina State which is a great bookend because my number one player, Harry Carson, played at <laughs> South Carolina State. He was all MEAC. And, um, you know, I just think that his trajectory is on the up. He is a stud for the Colts. They build their defense around him. You know, he's an outside linebacker. And um, right now I just don't see um, – in my research, someone that has proven to be better wearing the number 53 um, that, that I left off this list. Okay. Well, okay. Here's, here's the two players that I had different. And, and when you, I had it, you I, probably, you, you're probably going to make a great case and I'll say, you know what? I forgot about him. Well, this is an interesting name, and I, I think it's because he was substantial. Now, he doesn't have a lot of statistics to him, but uh, Jim Youngblood is who I had as my 10th my player. Okay, right. and everybody knows Jack Youngblood. Right, right. And uh, But, you know, 
Jim Jim was a, a pretty good player too. I believe that same yeah. teams. I think they were on the, the same defenses for many years. Yeah, seventy three to eighty four. So that's quite a bit of crossover. But he he was a great linebacker, and I think he was very impactful at the linebacker position for the Rams in those uh, late you know mid mid to late seventies and early eighties. Um, yeah, no doubt, no doubt, he was definitely um, he played. He was a uh, yeah, yeah, no doubt. You know, he. And- and yep. the other player I had that was a little different than you is uh, Mark Stepnoski, who I actually graduated high school with. He, he's okay. from Erie, Pennsylvania. Went to a Cathedral Prep High School with uh, with me, and uh, we graduated the same year. And he was uh, Troy Aikman's center for those great uh, Dallas Cowboy teams. You know, five sure. Pro Bowls. You know, won two Super Bowls. Was on the All 1990s team, and uh, you know, long long. Uh, career with the, the Cowboys. He was there for nine years and then spent four years with uh, Houston. And then when they moved to Tennessee, he, he went, followed them up there. So, you know, nice 13 year career at center. Um, wasn't the, the, I mean, he was by far the smallest guy on that Dallas uh, line back there in the nineties, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. weighing in at you know, 269 pounds and six foot two, but uh, he, he was a great player. And, uh, you know, I know him. So, so I had to get, put one in there for Mark. Yeah. You know, he, he won what he was with them when they won a couple of Super Bowls. and you're right, you know, statistics um, certainly play a role in all of this. And it's very hard sometimes to um, uh, uh, especially for an offensive lineman, it's very hard to rank them and, and frankly to do the proper research on them. If you are not, really diving in deep and studying film and seeing all these people. I mean, unfortunately, as important a role as offensive linemen play in the game, not to belittle any other role of any other position in, in, in the NFL, I think um, offensive linemen might be the least known player players in football. And their role, I mean, left tackle, you know, or, you know, if it's a lefty quarterback, the right tackle. I mean, my gosh, you know, as a Giants fan, those offensive lines that helped them win Super Bowls were so crucial. And you saw how important that was because the weakness on the Giants with their offensive lines has certainly hurt. It hurt Manning towards the end, and it has certainly hurt uh, Daniel Jones as, um, you know, early on in his career. Yeah. You've had a lot of young quarterbacks that don't have good offensive lines, you know, that get picked number one, you know, hopefully uh, Mr. Lawrence doesn't experience that same thing this year, but you know, there's a lot of different, uh, quarterbacks that have had their careers sort of ruined because of being gun shy, but just getting pounded. But there's a Trump card for Mark Stepnoski. And I I think I'm going to play it right now. He, he blocked for the NFL's all-time leading rusher. That's got to say something. No doubt. No yes. doubt. I mean, yeah, Emmett, Emmett uh, gained a couple of yards with the Cowboys, didn't he? Yeah, yeah. And yeah. Some, some of them were A-gap, you know, so you got to yeah. give the center a little credit. <laughs> you could put Stepnoski on that list. I do think that the trajectory of a Darius Leonard um, could maybe one day pass a Stepnoski. Um, quite possibly, and, and and maybe I overlooked Stepnot. Well, I did overlook Stepnoski. Um, I could make an argument, or you know, that maybe I should have put Stepnoski at number ten. 
Um, and that's why we do do these kinds right. of shows and, and, and have these kinds of lists. But I just think that Darius Leonard is, you know, if he continues to play at the rate he's playing, he'll be higher than number 10 someday. I don't disagree with you, but I'm, I'm not even disagreeing with that. Leonard shouldn't be on that list. I'm saying he maybe replaces even somebody else on the list. Could be. And Could uh, absolutely. I mean, we got, we've got some things to think about here. I mean, first of all, we've got two of our hall of famers that only wore the number 53 for two seasons. Yeah. Mike Webster was one of them. Mike Webster and, and Len Ford. Yeah. Um, you know, that, uh, well, listen, let's say, let's go this way. Let's put our, our, I think, uh, two people, we probably definitely agree both because of longevity and they were great players. You know, Harry Carson definitely is on that list. You know, yeah. there's, there's no doubt about it. And I think, uh, Mick Tinglehoff was 17 years wearing a Jersey number 53, being a hall of famer and all his other credentials. Um, yeah. I, I think he sent for two. I, I think those are two, two automatics that, uh, to be on there. And I think the rest are kind of somewhat debatable. We can have, have some fun with the rest of them, but uh, definitely don't want to have those guys even be in a discussion of uh, not being. Yeah. You know, the thing about, um, you know, it's so hard sometimes with, with um, these guys who only wore the Jersey number for a few short years and might better, are better remembered for their other jersey number, like a Webster who wore 52. But what do you, yeah, how do you keep him off the list? It's yeah, so well, hard. It, it, well, being a Steelers fan, I don't know him as a 53. So <laughs> he, was, he was a Kansas City Chief, I believe, when he was a, a 53. Yeah, you know, it's such an interesting story, too, because he left the Steelers and was going to coach with the Chiefs. And so he becomes an offensive line coach with the Chiefs. And they go, you know what? You're just still too darn good. Would you, would you, would you come back and play? And he says, sure. So he ends up playing two years with the chiefs wearing 53. How do I leave him off the list? Now I, I, I hear you. I hear you. And he's one of my heroes. He's, you know, I grew up with uh, him being the center for all those years, you know? And, and, and then, yeah. And then you get a guy like Len Ford, you know, he's another one with such a, uh, such an interesting story. Um, he played, he played first in, the All-America Football Conference with a team called the Los Angeles Dons. And for those who don't know it, um, the Los Angeles Dons were actually named for one of the team's owners, Don Amici, the actor. So, oh, okay. I didn't realize that. They were actually, uh, that's, that's who uh, he is, uh, uh, the, 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 the Dons were named for. You know, he, he played, uh, he was a defensive end. And he also, on the offense, he played left end. We probably better know that now as a, a tight end type position. Elected into the Hall of Fame in 1976. But he really made, you know, he played for, he played for the Dons. He played for the Browns. He played for the Packers. But his, he's best known for his time with the Browns. So he leaves college 
he was a big dude for back then. He was six foot five and he played for Michigan. And I think the greatest team or whom people say was the greatest Michigan team was the 47 team. And Len was on that team. And this was during all the color line and race and racism and all that. And in 1948, the NFL had a 32-round draft and not a single team went out on a limb to take Len Ford. Hmm. Well, the AAFC was trying to establish itself, and they didn't care what the color of your skin was. And the Los Angeles Dons took Len Ford. So his first year... Again, we're talking statistics. Uh, Defensive statistics are hard to come by. But offensively, he had 31 catches for 598 yards and seven touchdowns. And he followed that up with uh, 36 catches for 577 yards and a touchdown. Well, after the 49 season, the AAFC folded shop and they took in a couple of teams They took in the San Francisco 49ers and they took in the Cleveland Browns and the Cleveland Browns were, they were a machine. They were the best football team on the planet, period, bar none. Sorry, Steeler fans. Sorry, football (laughs) fans. Um, Sorry, Giants fans. But that's just the way it is. The Browns were the best. Paul Brown assembled a team. um, And when they went to the NFL, again, Brown didn't care about the color of your skin. If you could play football, he wanted you on his team. And he knew how good Len Ford was. And he took Len Ford with him to Cleveland. Well, with Cleveland, he was an absolute stud. Six times in eight years, he helped the Brown. And and Brown pulled him off the offense and strictly made him a defensive end. And During his eight years with the Browns, six times they played for the NFL championship. They won it three times. He was a defensive end on the NFL's 1950s all-decade team. And when he retired, he held the NFL record of 20 fumble recoveries. A superior athlete during the offseason – He played in the National Basketball League for an all-black team called the New York Renaissance. Len Ford, you know, again, I'm a homer. I named Harry Carson number one. Len Ford could easily be the number one, number 53 of all time. But like you said, he also wore a couple of different numbers. He wore 50. He wore 80. And he wore 83. But I see, I think there's a little bit different. So if we, if we are looking at Webster wearing it for two years at the last two seasons of his career, where he wasn't, you know, he was a good player, but he wasn't the, at the highlight of his career. I think you could say that Len Ford wearing a 53 in his third and four seasons in the well, first two seasons, of the NFL, but third and four seasons in pro football, that he was sort of at the pinnacle of his career. 
You know, Paul yeah. Brown, like you said, switched him over to defense. He was re- really finding himself. And he's one that would be interesting to see if uh, you know, Pro Football Journal has uh, some sacks on him because I can't imagine he, he he had to be way up there in sacks, you know, in tackles for loss, which we don't yeah, have. And- no, no, no doubt. It's like baseball, the saves, right? Saves mm-hmm. didn't become an official stat until what, the 70s? You know, so there are so many relief pitchers way back when, and they baseballs tried to do a job of crediting saves back through time. But, you know, um, you have the same thing in basketball, the three-point play. I'm quite sure that way back when guys were shooting it from downtown, you're not going to change the score, but you could go back and say, well, this guy would have had X number of three-pointers the plus minus rating in the NHL. So yeah, it, it, it's hard to, um, to, to quantify some of that stuff. Even Harry Carson, his first couple of years, sacks weren't recorded as an official stat. So it's, uh, it's tough, but I'll tell you, when you look back at the career of a guy like Len Ford, um, wow, what a, uh, what a stud player. And again, you know, a guy whom so many have never heard of. Right. That, that's true. I mean, I, I'm pretty uh, confident. I, I have him, I have Len Ford staying on, on the, my top 10 list. And it no. sounds like you have, I mean, you're making a very compelling case for him. And I, I think we, we put him on as our third player. That's uh, definitely on that list. If that's okay with you. Yeah, I, I, absolutely. Okay. All right. So we got three now let's see. I'm, I'm still trying to figure out where we were uh, different. You know, the other player I didn't have, so I didn't have Leonard on my list and I didn't have Martin. So I had Youngblood and Sepnoski. And I'm not convinced with Youngblood. Um, well, Rod Martin, Rod Martin is, you know, I remember watching him play for the Raiders. Um, he was a linebacker, wore number 53 for the Raiders, um, spent 12 years with them. Um, let me uh, let me call up some of his numbers here. I don't I don't know all this stuff off the top of my head, with the exception of he did play 12 years for the Raiders. He had 14 interceptions, four touchdowns. He recovered 10 fumbles, two of which he turned into touchdowns. His first five years in the NFL, they didn't count sacks. There was no stat at that point either. He still wound up with 33 and a half sacks. He was on the Raiders teams that won the Super Bowl, Super Bowl 15 and Super Bowl 18. Twice he played uh, Pro Bowl. He was the first team All-Pro in 1984. Three times he was a second team All-Pro. I mean, he, he, um, he had a heck of a career. Let's see, how many tackles did he have? Don't see, they didn't have, um, I don't see that stat for um for rod martin but he was one of the leaders 100 percent one of the leaders on that team and you know he um he had an 81 yard touchdown reception uh, uh interception return for a touchdown a 77 yard fumble recovery for a touchdown he he was one of he was one of the leaders of that defense of those feared Raider teams in the 19, 1980s, the early 1980s. And I, I remember watching him play. 
his his statistics are almost identical to Youngblood's. I don't know if you knew that when you started yeah, saying the 14 interceptions, I'd look back. Youngblood had 14 interceptions. Four of those returned for touchdowns. Martin had had two fumble recoveries for touchdowns. You know, Youngblood had had zero. For, I think for I think what makes the difference for me is uh, it's it's a hard thing to do, but it's it's a fact. Um, Martin helped lead his team to two Super Bowl victories, and Youngblood didn't. That, that that's true. That's a big number there. You're right. That's a reward to uh, get you some advancement there. Yeah. So, I guess I guess what I'm questioning. I'm 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 I don't think Youngblood is on that top ten because you made uh, you yeah, made you know and, I, and, and don't forget too in the Super Bowl against the Philadelphia Eagles, Rod Martin, I think I. He had three interceptions, I think, in that game. Really? Oh. Let's look that up. Yeah, I th- they should have some playoff. Uh... I think Rod Martin had three interceptions. Let's see, playoffs, 1980 Super Bowl. He had three interceptions. Martin recorded a Super Bowl record, three interceptions off of Ron Jaworski and returned them for 44 yards. Wow. Okay. Well, that, that that's so, a pretty big, uh, yeah. big revelation there. Of um, Chuck Howley also had three interceptions in Super Bowls, but Martin did it in one game. Wow. Hmm. And and it also says here that in Super Bowl twenty eight. Um, he sacked Joe Theismann once, tackled John Riggins for no gain on a fourth down on a on a fourth and one conversion deep in Raiders territory, last play of the third quarter, and he recovered a fumble in the final period. He was clutch. He was a clutch ball player. I think um, I think he deserves to be on that list. So who was that? The Super Bowl that Blitnikoff was the MVP. Because I'm like, uh, I'm like, how could he not be MVP with three three interceptions? You know, you know that's a good. That's a. It had to be uh, Fred Bolitnikoff, late in '79. Is that that? No, it was 1983. Was that? Um, oh, that might have been uh, that Marcus Allen or no, Marcus Frank. Allen. Mar- Marcus Allen, you're right. Yeah. yeah. Okay, that's that's something. That's a story to tell. I had three interceptions in the Super Bowl, and I wasn't the game's MVP. <laughs> Crazy, right? You've. Made a real, real good case for him. I think uh, he he deserves to be on that top ten list. So he's there's our fourth one we agree on. I'm gonna I'm gonna scratch Youngblood because he his that's nothing. <laughs> he doesn't have a. Thank God he didn't pick off Terry Bradshaw three times in the Super Bowl <laughs> Super Bowl thirteen. <laughs> Talk about uh, one of the Plunkett, Hall of Famers. And I just looked it up. Plunkett was the MVP in that Super Bowl. Okay. All right. So let's let's talk about um, one of the Hall of Famers we haven't said too much about, and that's Alex uh, Wojohowicz. Yeah, uh, yeah, he he was um, another interesting story. So um, Wojohowicz played; he came up nine years with the Detroit Lions, and what makes his story interesting to me is that the Lions were a pretty good team. In 1946, they lost their first game of the season, and the coach, Gus DeRay, was so perturbed with the play of his, the play of his, his, his offensive line, because Wojciechowicz was a center and a middle linebacker, 
he cut all four linemen. Wow. Cut them all. So the Philadelphia Eagles go ahead and they, they sign him. They see this, this guy's a decent ball player. So he goes and he uh, goes to play for the Eagles. So he spends nine years with the Lions, five with the Eagles. And um, over the course of his career, 19 interceptions, twice he was a first-team All-Pro, 1940s All-Decade team, Eagles Hall of Fame. He played at Fordham University and was one of the seven blocks of granite with Vince Lombardi. So he played for Fordham in 36 and 37. When he went to the Eagles, he really wasn't a starter. He came on um, in, you know, he, he would he would sub in and um, he only played defense, but he was a heck of a defender with the Eagles and he helped them win the NFL championship in 48 over the Chicago Cardinals and then 49 over the Rams, the Los Angeles Rams. Oh no, were they the they were the Cleveland Rams at that time? I'm sorry, the Cleveland. Yeah, I think that was their last year in Cleveland yeah. when they yeah their last game as a Cleveland Rams was a, the championship game. Huh, very interesting. Well, he was um, he he definitely um, college football Hall of Famer, uh, Pro Football Hall of Famer. Um, like I said, 1940s All Decade team. Um, he's in the uh, Fordham University Hall of Fame. What else can he say? He's the Eagles Hall of Fame. The guy was uh, Gus DeRay. I don't know what, and I've done a podcast on Gus DeRay. He was a heck of a football coach. Could have actually coached at Notre Dame, but um, gave up the opportunity after Newt Rockney had passed away because Gus was a part of all that. He didn't mm. want to replace Rockney, but Gus DeRay was one heck of a coach. I don't know what he was thinking. Yeah, that's that's especially they're all two way players back then. So you're you're getting rid of a defender too. <laughs> you're getting yeah. rid of your lineman. Yeah. I mean, he was um and again, you know, he's one of these guys. Uh he was a number 53 with the Eagles uh for for just a couple of years. Uh, he did not wear 53 with the Lions, but he certainly made a name for himself for three years with the Eagles as a number 53. But we had um, we had a, covered him a little bit on the number 50s. I, I had uh, Rich, uh, Rich Smelter. He's a PFR, a uh-huh. historian, uh, author of a bunch of books. And he had an interesting little tidbit that I'm not 100% that it's true, but it was interesting. On the uh, television show, uh, Barney Miller, the character Wojo, who was one of the uh, police in the precinct, was named after Alex Wojohos oh. is what uh, Rich Rich said he had heard. So is it that interesting? Yeah. So I think one of the writers or the producers was a, a big Alex Wojohos fan. So he, he gave him oh. that honor. So very interesting. Yeah, that's kind of a cool story, especially if it's true. So <laughs> yeah. I didn't know that. That's very cool. Yeah, I thought I thought that was pretty neat myself. Well, what do we want to do with Alex? Do we want to put him on as our fifth player? Do we want to I, I have him as number five. Okay, I think he. I think he's definitely deserving of being up there. I mean, um, again, number fifty-three. I just found very difficult. 
Okay. Listen, so we'll put him on at number five. Now I'm not, I mean, I know he's one of the greatest Steelers ever, Mike Webster. I'm not sold that Webster's on that list yet. Okay. As, as a 50, as a 53. Okay. Um, well, I, I'm going to put him, put an asterisk by him. Maybe he's one we can come back and talk to if we have. Okay. Uh, I, what about, what about Randy Gratishaw? Well, I think Rad, Randy Gratishaw definitely should be on there. This guy but, should be in the Hall of Fame. Yeah, yeah. I, I think there's no doubt. But let's talk talk about him. Let's tell right, everybody so what's going on with Randy. He was he was a a, a linebacker for the Broncos. Um, was a part of their famous Orange Crush defense that helped the Broncos into the Super Bowl in '77 um, against the Cowboys. He played for ten years. Had 20 interceptions, three of which he returned for touchdowns, 13 recoveries, fumble recoveries, one of which he returned for a touchdown. He played in seven Pro Bowls, six times was named All-Pro. At that time, I don't know, do they still have All-AFC and All-NFC? But at that time, they did, and he was All-AFC seven times. In 1978, he was the NFL Defensive Player of the Year. He was a two-time All-America at Ohio State. He finished sixth in the Heisman uh, uh, Trophy balloting the year that John Capaletti won. Anybody ever wants to, you know, one of those tearjerker stories, watch Something for Joey. Terrific Mm -hmm. movie about John Capaletti. Uh, Penn State, John's younger brother, Joey. Uh, Gratishar is in the Broncos Ring of Fame. 2008 Pro Football Weekly put together its all-time 3-4 defense. Harry Carson, Lawrence Taylor, Andre Tippett, Howie Long, Curly Culp, Leroy Selman, Randy Gratishar. That ain't bad company to keep. No, that's a real good lineup there. You know, how how is he – he was tough, man. How is he not in the Hall of Fame? I don't get it. Yeah, especially you look at – I mean, he's a defensive player of the year, 1978. There's been less than 100 of them throughout the NFL's career, you know, because I don't know how long that, that award's been out. But uh, yeah. there's, and there's a couple of players I know that have won it more than once. So that sort of limits your numbers now. But he's one of, you know, a select few for all the, the thousands of defensive players that have been in the NFL. He, he, several times he won major NFL awards, and we know that he was one heck of a football player for – Ohio State, Um, he was the leader of that Orange Crush defense when, you know, that year that they went and played in the Super Bowl, they only gave up 198 points, and that's in 16 games. He was twice, he was the NFL's um, linebacker of the year, as named by Football Digest. I don't understand. It, and maybe maybe he should be higher up on, on our list. Yeah, that's a good possibility right there. 
Now, that's kind of interesting, and I, I don't know. I'm just looking at pro football reference. In 1975, they have him down just as a middle linebacker, and then 76 for the rest of his career, he was either right inside or left inside linebacker. So I wonder if he went from uh, a 3-4 to uh, a 4-3 defense, but he made the Pro Bowl at both positions. Yeah, I mean, he was that good. Yeah, so that's I mean that's that's a pretty dramatic change for a middle linebacker. You have a different uh, scheme, different responsibility in those two defenses. Yeah, no doubt, no so, doubt. Yeah, that he's he's pretty good, and I, I think uh, he's definitely on that list. So I'm going to yeah. put him as our sixth player. Definitely has earned that, and I, like you say, he should be in Canton. No doubt about it. Maybe yeah. we'll see him with uh, some of the, the senior, more seniors are supposed to be getting in here in the next yeah. few years. So yeah, definitely. Hopefully he can so get in there. My number seven is a guy who is a good football player, but you only liked him if he was on your team. Bill Romanowski. Yeah, I, I like him, but he wasn't on my team. I, yeah, I think I, he was tough. I mean, he was tough. He was, you know, he, he spent, um, what 16 years I played not six years for the Niners two years for the Eagles six years for the Broncos two years for the Raiders intercepted 18 passes recovered 18 fumbles 39 and a half sacks he was on four Super Bowl winners two times he was a pro bowler he had over 1,100 tackles. And like I said, 39 and a half sacks. He was tough. He was tough. Yeah. He, he had those, uh, you know, everybody likes to talk about, you know, uh, Mike Singletary's eyes. I think Romanowski had sort of those same eyes, oh, you know. Yeah. Just focus, laser focus, you know, just staring through the hearts of quarterbacks and running backs, waiting for one of them to get the ball. You know, he, he was a, an angry player on the field. <laughs> I'll say that. Yeah, um, and and I think that's the knock against him where I say that if he was on your team, you loved him, <clears throat> but if he wasn't, you didn't like him because he had – there were a lot of instances with him, rightly or wrongly, on the field where he had a lot of altercations, not only with the opponent, but sometimes with his own teammates. He was, he was intense, like you say. Like you remember those eyes from Singletary. Yeah, Romanowski. He'd get on the field. He was intense. Mm-hmm. That that doesn't make you a, a bad player. You know, I think uh, you have to have some of that uh, that will to you know get your opponent and uh, you know whatever whatever means necessary. You know, sometimes. Yeah, you know, you know, Darren. We don't like to talk all that much about the negative things. But I think the knock against Romanowski was, you know, some of those on-the-field altercations. You know, he kicked Larry Centers of the Cardinals. I think he spit on J.J. Stokes. And these aren't allegations. These are things caught on film, and he was fined and or suspended for these things. You know, he had his altercation. But off the field, he seems like a fun guy. I think he was in uh, some movies, on some TV shows. Regardless of all that, one heck of a football player, and I think absolutely deserving of being on our top 10 list of, of players to have worn 
the number 53, and he wore it on every team he played for his entire career. That's true. Very true. And yeah, those are, those are some great teams he played on, you know, the, I mean, what can you say, you know, the San Francisco teams of the the late eighties. Yeah. Fantastic. He played on, he played on, he played in five Super Bowls and he won four of them. Denver wasn't too shabby either. (laughs) No, he played on their, uh, their championship teams with, uh, with Elway, I believe. Right. So played with some pretty good quarterbacks, you know, with Montana, young Elway. Yeah, he Hmm. sure did. Not not bad company. Yep. Okay. I have him. I agree with you. He's our seventh on our our list for our top 10. So we have three spots open. All right. Well, we got one of your guys, Marquise Pouncey, recently retired Marquise Pouncey. Um, You know, he, he was in the league for 11 years, but he only played 10. 2015, he missed the whole year with his, uh, I think he broke his leg. Sidebar. You think about the centers that the Steelers have had over the years. What have they had? What have what have they had? Four centers in the last thirty years? I don't know. Yeah, well, a little you know, bit more, a little bit more than that. You you had a, a couple. You had some Super Bowl winning centers like uh, you know, Hartwig was a center for uh, I think their win over the Cardinals. Um, but yeah, you're you're right. You know, from Webster to Dermani Dawson uh, to the pouncey and uh you know hopefully they they drafted their new one this year he's he's wearing the pouncey's number already <laughs> yeah i mean you know um three times he was an all pro uh two times second team all pro we played in nine pro bowls uh all rookie team in 2010 all decade team of the 2010s uh Played at Florida, where he won a national championship, and for now he's retired. Um, you know, uh, he's he's. Um, I think he's got to be on that list. Oh, I I most definitely think so. You know, it, it's it's still uh, short in our memories that uh, his last game. Unfortunately, the the first play of that last game was sort of set the bar rolling poorly yeah. for the Steelers against the, the Browns when he snapped sort of. it in the end zone. That, that wasn't a good start, but that's not what I, I, I like to remember him by. And even his injury, the season he missed, it was such a freak thing. The Steelers had just gone to a zone blocking scheme and a young player named David DeCastro uh, ended up cutting Pouncey and injured him. And uh, you know nobody felt worse that whole season than DeCastro to lose your your leader that was, you know, blocking right beside you, especially when you're a young player. But um, yeah, I think that definitely, I think Pouncey needs to be on that list. Yeah. Or eight spot. Good, good ball player. So we had, um, so let's go. So I had number two, Len Ford, three Webster, four was Tinglehoff, who we really didn't talk a whole lot about, but he played for 17 years, inducted into the hall of fame in 2015 um, six times a pro bowler, five times he was a first team uh, all pro, um, you know, ring of honor for the Vikings, recovered 13 fumbles. He is one of only 11 players to play in all four Super Bowls that the Vikings appeared in, um, helped the Vikings to an NFL championship in 69. Then they lost the Super Bowl to the uh, to to the Chiefs. Um, and then 
you know, when he retired, he had played in 240 straight games. Only Jim Marshall had played in more, and that was 270. So, uh, you know, Tinglehoff has definitely got to be on that list. Um, we have Woja Howitz, uh, Randy Gratishaw, Romanowski, Marquise Pouncey. I put Rod Martin on there. Um, we have our discussion about Darius Leonard. Um, you brought up um, Stepnoski. Stepnoski, no doubt. So that to me is nine guys. And the only guy we haven't talked about is my number one, Harry. Harry Carson. Well, we were saving him for for the last. So that's okay. Wait, so let's see nine and oh, okay. And uh, Leonard is our our tenth. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yes. So, okay. Um, let me make my case for Harry Carson. Okay. <laughs> uh, my case for Harry Carson: nine times a Pro Bowler, came out of a small school, South Carolina State, helped transform the Giants that had just been one of the you know, the doormats of the NFL for so long helped transform them into a Super Bowl contender and helped lead them to the Super Bowl in 86. He played in the shadow of LT for a couple of years, but he mentored and tutored LT on how to become an NFL, you know, how to conduct himself on, on a football field. Hmm. Uh, Harry was inducted into the Hall of Fame in 2006. Um, one of the things that a lot of people don't know about Harry is over the course of his career, suffered 15 concussions. Wow. Um, you know, that's one of the sad things about Webster, you know, how his life ended because of, you know, concussions. Um, when he played at South Carolina State, Harry Carson he had this other guy on his team. You might have heard of him, Donnie Shell. <laughs> he played with Harry at South Carolina State. Also, a great baseball player played with Harry at South Carolina State, Willie Mays Akins. Um, Harry was on one of the, uh, what I think is one of the all time great linebacking crews in NFL history. We called them the Big Blue Wrecking Crew. And that team, you know, like I said, helped the Giants win the, um, the Super Bowl. And the Big Blue Wrecking Crew was made up of Harry, Lawrence Taylor, Brad Van Pelt, and Brian Kelly. Um, Harry appeared in nine different playoff games. Let's see, his career was one, two, three, four, five, six, 13-year career. Harry was um, one of the guys who started the Gatorade shower. Remember, the Giants oh. were the first team to do that. They poured the Gatorade over Parcells. First guy to do it was Jim Burt, and then along came Harry Carson. So really, he was one of the, the founders of, of, of pouring the Gatorade over the coach. Um, yeah, he had, again, like we said earlier, Sacks weren't counted his first couple of years, but he had 19 sacks over the course of his career. Of course, he played alongside LT, and LT was doing most of the sacking at that time. Harry also had 11 interceptions. 
Bill Parcells always made sure that Harry Carson stood next to him for the national anthem. It was hmm. Harry Carson was Bill Parcells' good luck charm. And one of the uh, big reasons... Are, are you sure it wasn't because he wanted to make sure he wasn't grabbing that Gatorade bucket before yeah, the game started? <laughs> yeah, maybe. Get him before the game started. <laughs> Bill Belichick, when you ask Bill Belichick to compare a player today to Lawrence Taylor, Bill Belichick will say, end of discussion. You can't compare anybody to Lawrence Taylor, although he's come close with J.J. Watt. Whether you like Bill Belichick or not, you got to respect what the guy has done over the course of his career. Again, whether you like him or not. And, you know, he was the defensive coordinator for the New York Giants, helped construct those defenses that won those two Super Bowls, 86 and 91. And Belichick said this, you know, LT is the greatest, period. But he also said of Harry Carson that he is the best all-around linebacker he ever coached. Hmm. That's pretty high praise. And when all is said and done, a Hall of Famer, nine times a pro bowler, helped to tutor, mentor, Lawrence Taylor, was part of the Big Blue Wrecking Crew. I got him number one on my list. All right, maybe I'm partial. Uh, I, I don't disagree with you. I think he definitely he's the, the star that uh, shines the brightest of these uh, number 53s. Totally agree with you. He, he's number one on our list. And, uh, you know, we have the nine other gentlemen. I'll, I'll just go through the names real quick. So we have, cool. you know, we said Harry Carson, uh, Mick Tinglehoff, Alex Wojohowicz, Len Ford, Bill Romanowski. Darius Leonard, Mark Stepnoski, Marquise Pouncey, Randy Gratishar, and Rod Martin in no particular order. In no particular order. Yeah, those are, that's a great team. Now, there's a couple players that uh, we probably ought to mention that are probably fringe players that we didn't talk about yet. Okay. And, and uh, one of them's uh, you know, Ray Donaldson. And Ray Donaldson, you know, great center, uh, came in uh, 1980 with the uh, Baltimore Colts at the time. And uh, stayed with Indianapolis all the way to 1992, a couple years of Seattle and Dallas, uh, retired after the 96 season. He had six Pro Bowls to his credit and won a Super Bowl. Uh, And uh, Kevin Glover's the other one, another great uh, center guard, uh, played uh, 1985, came with the Detroit Lions and stayed there till 97, a couple final seasons, 98, 99 with the Seattle Seahawks. But he had three Pro Bowls to his credit. So both... uh, Good centers, both interior linemen were good players. Yeah, but, uh, like you said, it's so hard to measure some of these guys that that didn't have stats, and that's a shame. Right. But they're, they're substantial players, and we, that's what we're here. We want to make sure we try to recognize as many of them as we can. Uh, not top 10, but uh, definitely some good players. No doubt, no doubt. I know you you ta- told us what's coming up on the uh, the June first episode. What what do you have in the works uh, on some some future podcasts? Sure. Um, you know, we're we're into baseball season right now. Uh, I have coming up an episode about terrific ball player by the name of Zach Wheat. Hmm. Zach Wheat uh, played for the Dodgers in the early nineteen hundreds. 
1920s. Guy was a hitting machine, had over 2,800 career hits, uh, played for just about 20 years. Another guy like Archie Clark, who stood up for his rights, always fighting to get the bigger contract, held out a couple of times, had his battles with Charles Ebbets, and um, dealt a lot with injuries, uh, was a terrific defensive ball player, uh, is a Hall of Famer, and um, yeah, I mean, I got an episode coming up about Zach Wheat, and I also have an episode coming up about Jack Quinn, who was a turn-of-the-century ball player, pitcher with the Yankees, and um, also played in what's called the Federal League, and Harold Emke as well. These two guys were comeback. They left. They they were both pitchers, uh, terrific pitchers during the turn of the century, and uh, working on a couple others. Actually, I think I'm going to be doing a show about John Bassett hmm. and um, got a couple others. Don't want to talk too much about them until I have them uh, solidified, but uh, we're in the baseball season now. And so um, after the Archie Clark show, it'll be a couple of baseball episodes in a row with John Bassett thrown in the middle uh, for his work uh, in football. Wow. You just keep pulling those rabbits out of your hat. Uh, these uh, great forgotten heroes. I'm glad you're reminding us of them because uh, some of like I said, there's many of them that I listen to your program and I've never heard of, and I'm sure glad that I've listened and learned a little bit. Uh, if you, if somebody goes and tunes into to Warren's podcast and you don't learn something out of it, then there, there's something wrong because you do a great detail. Your guests are interesting. Uh, they're experts at whoever, they're, they're talking about, and it's a uh, really fascinating pieces that you talk about. I appreciate that so much. It's, um, you know, Hey, you know, it, you, you got to do your research. This is, we could speak off the cuff a little bit, but there's so much detail. There's so much to learn. And, um, the one thing I try not to be is more knowledgeable about, about a subject that my guest, I, I don't want that, but, I got to do the research. So you ask the right questions and you glean that information out of them. Yeah. And you, you definitely do that. You guide them right through uh, some, some great stories and uh, we're very appreciative of that. And we're appreciative that you joined us here tonight for, for this endeavor. And I, I think we've got you for some other numbers coming up here real soon. So we can uh, look forward to, to Warren uh, and some more episodes here, a few episodes from here, I believe. I think you're down for 56s. Uh, I think oh, we have yeah. another interesting giant you want to talk about there. Yeah, some guy named Lawrence Taylor. Right, right. <laughs> so, the, the, list, the list starts and stops with him. So, <laughs> so, so Warren, we, we appreciate your time, and uh, thank you again for coming on, and we'll, we'll talk to you here in a couple episodes. You got it. Anytime, Darren. All right. Thanks, Warren. We're taking a peek over at the chains and the down marker. It's fourth and long. We're going to have to punt the ball and get on out of here, but we'll have another series tomorrow for your football history headlines, so be sure to tune in. We invite you to check out our website, pigskindispatch.com, not only to see the daily football history, but to experience positive football with our many articles on the good people of the game, as well as our own football comic strip, Cleat Marks Comics. Pigskindispatch.com is also on social media outlets, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and don't forget the Pigskin Dispatch YouTube channel to get all of your positive football news and history. 
Special thanks to the talents of Mike and Gene Monroe, as well as Jason Neff for letting us use their music during our podcast. PigskinDispatch.com is a proud affiliate of the Sports History Network, the headquarters of sports yesteryear.